You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. Greetings to all my covenant family, uh, those who are sanctified in Christ and called to be holy. He is risen. In my last podcast, I spoke of my intention to move from the theology of parenting to the practice of it, and particularly what parental discipline and parental instruction should look like. Well, I have indeed just recorded that podcast. I'm calling it Two-Handed Parenting, and that's going to be next in this series, one week from now. But today, I think I want to slip into the seam between the theology and practice of parenting another sermon. As I was looking at the text in Matthew 19 that I referenced in my last podcast, the one that has parents bringing their children to Jesus for his blessing, uh, I came across a sermon that I'd preached on that text in 2009. And because it develops this theme in the Gospels of Jesus' attitude towards his disciples' children, I think it will be an encouragement to you. So I'm offering it to you here as episode number 10 in our series on Christian parenting. Just note that the sermon recording picks up with my reading from Matthew chapter 19, uh, beginning at verse 13. Begin reading at verse 13. Then children were brought to him, that is Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. This is the word of God. Amen. This is indeed an interesting little vignette in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. You might think of it as a spat between Jesus and his otherwise faithful and close companions, the disciples. Particularly, the subject is over the kind of time and attention children should receive in the ministry of our Lord. I imagine the disciples uh, acting in large part in the ministry of our Lord as publicity agents for Jesus. You know that inevitably, with all the crowds that followed Jesus, all the pressing of him, all the demands, inevitably the the disciples would have served their Lord in running interference from an occasional Pharisee who wants to interrupt when he's having a, a very important few moments with a mother or a father or a child. They might bring order to the otherwise chaotic press to the Lord. They would no doubt have acted in some way like the handlers, pardon the expression, of the one that they recognized many people rightly wanted to see. And no doubt, most of what they did in this regard was well done. They'd been with Jesus long enough to know what he wanted, what his priorities were, what he was not willing to do, what he was willing to do. No doubt there was a lot that went quite well, but there was one occasion where Jesus and his agents have a falling out. They blow it. 
They set themselves at cross purposes with how he sees it best to use his time. This was a moment when apparently the disciples had tried to put a little bit of a a limit on the traffic that had come to be quite busy of parents bringing their children to Jesus for his blessing. And apparently what happens between Jesus and the disciples, actually, it's no doubt in front of these parents and their children, when Jesus humiliates his disciples publicly with his rebuke, apparently that's of such significance that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all want us to know about it. And the church has long since seen this as a statement, a ringing statement indeed of our Lord's view of children. It seems profitable for us to frame our time this morning in terms of questions. Let's ask first, what did the parents in our story want? Then we'll ask, why didn't the disciples want this? And then we'll ask the question, what was the mistake being made by our Lord's otherwise faithful disciples? What were the parents after as they brought their children to Jesus? We've seen that There were children around Jesus quite frequently. We saw back in chapter 18 how Jesus takes advantage of that and calls a child and puts them, puts that child before the rest of the assembly of men in particular and says, you all need to be like this child. And then he goes on to say in very strong terms the consequences of those who in any way hinder those children from being his disciples. So we'd seen this already. We can imagine that what Matthew records now was something that began to be a somewhat regular occurrence. Parents bringing their children, not here for healing of their bodies. That happened, and when it happens, Matthew wants us to know that was their errand. But here, bringing their children for some kind of spiritual healing, for a wellness that pertains not so much to the body, but the soul. We would call that grace. They're bringing their children to Jesus as a way of receiving the grace of God. Now, that's quite a testimony to what they thought of Jesus, isn't it? They thought for Jesus to bless meant the same as God to bless. As a man, even, Jesus could impart the grace of God to their children. They had received it themselves, his blessing that is, and they wanted it for their children. And so they're bringing their children. The word there actually encompasses very small children. Luke, in his account, specifies these were infants that were being brought to Jesus, nursing babies. They were too young to come on their own. And so their parents bring them. Why? What were these parents after? Well, brothers and sisters, I just want to point out to you, those parents were after the same thing you're after as Christian parents. They're after the same thing that you are after if you are a Christian, a disciple of Christ, and you have children. They wanted nothing more than for their children to receive what they'd received, the blessing of Christ, His grace. Really, I want to submit to you that this picture Matthew paints of a real pattern in our Lord's ministry is a picture that's fitting as an illustration of all of Christian parenting. That's what we are doing as parents. In all that we're doing, we are bringing our children to Christ for His blessing. 
I want you to think with me. Uh, I remind you that we are not the only people, Christians, who are concerned about good parenting. Lots of people are concerned about that. And there's a certain way of speaking. A good parent can be found in very many traditions. It's even outside of the church, there are parents who will give themselves with amazing sacrifice to be a blessing to their children in some sense of the word. They want to promote their children's well-being. They'll give of themselves to meet their basic needs. They'll give their time and attention in sometimes rather dramatic ways that even humbles Christians. They'll be the coaches of those young people to give them the equipment they need for all of life, the skills and talents and wisdom that they need. This isn't unique to Christians, to seek as parents to be a blessing to our children. What is unique to Christian parenting, however, is that we as parents are not only seeking to be a blessing, we're seeking to secure the blessing of Christ on our children. We're seeking to bring our children to Christ. That, that is what makes Christian parenting Christian Parents, when that element falls out of your work with your children, that's a denaturing of your parenting. It no longer has the nature of Christian parenting. But I say that because under the pressures of life, that's precisely what it is easy to do. To lose the element of parenting that is most distinctive of Christian parenting. This is a note to self as much as it is to any others of you here that are immersed in the demands of parenting children. This is why, fellow parents, we pray as a rule when we spank. Can spanking have a wholesome influence even in non-Christian parenting? Well, yes, it can. But we pray in connection with our spanking because we're seeking to, in that particular means of parenting, lead our children to Christ. There's something you need to say to God now through Christ Jesus. And there's something you need to get from God now through Jesus Christ. That's the reason why we set aside times for devotions as families. This again, just as a reminder, is why we do that. Not just to cultivate certain habits, not just to set them up in a good way, to have a, a well-disciplined Christian life. We are concerned with nothing less than to lead them to Christ. That's our privilege. We're doing what these parents were doing. We're bringing them to Christ. Because he's there when we gather even the smallest of families, two or three in our homes. This is why we teach our children the catechism. Well, that's good for their brains, I have no doubt. Uh, catechetical instruction is good for bringing them into a certain tradition. Ours is Presbyterianism, absolutely. But that is simply a means of introducing them and reintroducing them again and again to who is their Savior and their Lord. That's the reason why we steer as much as we can to spiritual conversation as parents. We're not just absorbed with making life work and giving them a platform for making life doable. We're seeking to lead them 
to Christ realizing we don't know our days or theirs. The thing that is of greatest importance is, have they got Christ's blessing today? May I say to those who are most overwhelmed by the demands of parenting and sensible of your failures as parents, isn't this the picture that's most comforting to you of these parents bringing their children to Christ for His blessing? Oh yeah, this does increase the sense of responsibility we have as parents, but isn't there also a great relief to be found in it? Isn't it a great relief to recognize that the blessing we want for our children is something that ultimately we can't give? We're in the process of bringing our children to the one who can bless them. Something very true to our inadequacies as parents about this picture of parenting calls for a prayer life on behalf of our children. It also grants us, does it not, fellow parents, a great measure of liberty. Jesus is the one who wants to bless my children, who's willing to bless my children. And ultimately, in all that swims in my head about what parenting involves, it boils down to this. involves getting them in Jesus' presence. That's what those parents wanted. And if you haven't wanted that as a Christian parent, that's what I set before you from our text this morning. Let's ask, secondly, why didn't the disciples want this? We read in verse 13 that the disciples of all things rebuked the people. The word is actually quite strong. They are upset about this. And you can imagine them saying, ladies, ladies, not now. Gentlemen, this is not the time. Or whatever they said, they caused these parents, it's their desire at least, to cause them to feel bad about what they're doing. I've already suggested to you that the disciples had come to have something of a role of helping our Lord in His ministry. And no doubt they fulfilled that many times quite admirably. But when we see them acting this way, we're ready for the outrage ourselves, aren't we? We're ready to say, how dare they? What could they possibly be thinking? And we might be tempted to make monsters of these men. There are a bunch of old Mr. Fredericksons saying to little Boy Scouts, why don't you go find a snipe? Get out of my presence to make a Pixar illusion. Some of you aren't getting. That's what these are. These are grumpy old men. They just don't like kids. That's what we have. Well, maybe that's not quite what we have. I want you to give our fathers, these apostles, a little more credit. It's likely they had children themselves. It's highly unlikely that they were just grumpy old men. A far more plausible explanation for their behavior is something a bit more noble, but still very misguided. It's possible the disciples were responding to some impropriety on the part of the parents. I mean, these parents could have been getting quite pushy. We see other occasions when the people coming after Jesus are so pushy, He resorts to jumping in a boat and rowing back out 
away from them so we can actually get some air to breathe. The disciples may have been acting out of concern for our Lord. Our Lord constantly pressed Himself beyond the human limits of His human frame. And it's very possible our disciples were concerned about that. Most likely explanation, judging from what we'll see Jesus says to them, is that the disciples were simply reflecting a sense of priority. Well-meaning, but mistaken sense of priority. We don't know, actually, for sure. And the only reason I've asked this question, why didn't the disciples want this? It's not so much to nail down the answer, but to make very emphatic, it ultimately doesn't matter. Why didn't they want this? It ultimately doesn't matter. Whatever motives they had, no matter how noble those motives were, they were completely inappropriate. And Jesus discounts them. Jesus is now the one who's Turn it is to be indignant. Mark's gospel puts it rather strongly. When Jesus saw it, apparently the conduct of the disciples as they rebuked the parents. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant, greatly displeased, some translations have it, and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Although he probably didn't say it like that. We usually read this passage and the red letters more mildly than probably they were uttered as Jesus spoke to his disciples. Whatever reservations they had, the heat with which Jesus corrects them makes clear how inappropriate, how utterly at cross-purposes they had found themselves just there to be with their master. And he says in so many words, don't you dare get between me and these children. Now, brothers and sisters, Whatever was their reason, what we need to recognize, however noble, it was misguided. And if this scenario that's recorded for us in Matthew 19 is ever played out again in the ways of Christ's people, it's going to likely be by those with the best of intentions. I simply point that out to you. I'm sure there are evil people who set themselves to deter children from coming to Christ. We spoke of that last in Matthew 18. And I had come to my mind and brought to your mind the university professor, the Bart Ehrman types, who write book after book trying to lead particularly young Christians in the same path of infidelity that he has. Those people exist, but they're not doing what the disciples did. The disciples are good men. They have good intentions, we are very able to believe. But it was very displeasing to the Lord, nonetheless. Can we see the error of the disciples replayed among us in our day? Well, we as Presbyterians certainly believe so. When our Lord gives a ringing endorsement of parents' desire to bring their children to Him for blessing, that's part of what lies behind our practice of giving the sign of Christ's blessing to our young children, our babies. I'm saying to you, this passage is one of Presbyterians' favorite passages in connection with the observance of infant baptism. And we believe that a refusal to do that is a replaying in some way 
of what the disciples were guilty of doing, especially in the part of ministers of the gospel who refuse to allow children of believers to come to Christ in baptism. Now, I am, I'm not suggesting to you this morning that the whole argument for what we do in infant baptism can be made from this case. You need to go to Elder Dollar's class to get that larger argument this morning. That argument will come to things such as the nature of baptism as a sign of the covenant, the membership of children in the covenant. You've heard that argument before from this pulpit. But I would assert this to you. The primary objection to the baptism of our children is addressed by this passage. Is there anything done by the baptism of our children that's not done by Jesus Christ in this account? Baptism is many things, but it's most fundamentally a blessing. It's a means of grace. There's nothing that we can do on behalf of Christ for our children in His ordinances that He didn't do with them, especially recorded for us here and in Mark and in Luke's Gospel, as they are carried to Him by their parents. Now, if you're a parent here and if somehow you got the choice of bringing your infant child to me as your pastor to baptize that baby, or to actually go and in Christ's physical presence give that child to your Savior and have that Savior bless them. I won't blame you if you were to choose Jesus. I would take no offense. But here's the good news. They're the same. You think Jesus took His physical presence away without providing for a way to continue this very thing? that He carves out the time to do? The baptizing of children is simply the continuation of our Lord's blessing of the children of His disciples. So that's why we Presbyterians believe that to object to bringing children to baptism is in some way to fall into the same error the disciples are falling into here. It misses something critically important about the attitude of Christ towards our children. I want to emphasize what I've already said. The disciples are good men, but they're misguided. We recognize that we are, as Presbyterians, often misguided ourselves. But humbly, we would urge that this is an area where some of our brothers in the church are good and godly men but misguided, even as the disciples were. Children, the greatest of all blessings in this life is to have parents who take you to Jesus before you're even aware of it. That's what was happening in our account this morning. That's the greatest of all. We call them temporal this life, blessings. These parents were right to do for their children what they were not yet able to do for themselves. And Jesus sanctions this whole parental approach. He doesn't say to those parents, I'd rather you just wait and let them come on their own. He says, as Mark indicates it in particular, I'll take that one. 
Mark tells us he took them in his arms and blessed them. And those children had the privilege of growing up under the blessing of Jesus Christ from a time they don't even remember receiving it. Praise be to God. He allows our children the same privilege. My third question is to drill more closely into this mistake, and that is to put it this way, what was the mistake of the disciples ultimately? From what Jesus says in response to them, it lay somewhere in their failing to understand something about the kingdom of heaven. Now, I will admit to you that as a Presbyterian at times, I've been a little frustrated that Jesus didn't say, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the covenant of grace. It would have been a little easier for me to have my good-natured debates with my Baptist friends because many Baptists would agree that baptism is a sign of the new covenant. And so if he just said it that way, maybe, oh, maybe we would have had no standing disagreement in the church about whether babies should be baptized. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. He's putting his finger on the mistake that the disciples made. And I submit to you the reason Jesus doesn't say something about the children's place in the covenant is that he wants to say more than that. He wants to say something that more directly addresses the disciples' problem. If he had said, they're members of the covenant too, Peter might well have said, and your point is? That was not something strange to Peter. Of course, they were part of the covenant. That's a very old covenant way of thinking, and Peter would have been thoroughly immersed in that way of thinking if they were little boys in Jesus' lap. They were circumcised, of course. Jesus wants to say something more than that they are members of the covenant. The disciples weren't denying the place of babies in the covenant. They were simply doubting the priority of children in the work of the kingdom. Did you hear me? That's why Peter, or rather, that's why Jesus puts his finger on that. And that's why now, famously, we know he says, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. If Jesus was prone to pointing, he probably pointed at the ones that the disciples had to that moment been saying, stop, stop. The disciples knew that Jesus' priority had to do with the kingdom. They couldn't see how kids, little ones especially, would fit with that priority. And so that's why they were saying, ladies, please, another time perhaps, but not now. And Jesus is correcting them on just this point. When Jesus says, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, he's saying, these children are part of the work I'm doing in this world to establish my kingdom. He's saying even more than that. They are important to the success of the kingdom that I am seeking to establish you see the babies as a liability to my work. I see them only as an asset to my work. And you need to know Jesus is saying this for reasons beyond the fact that he just loved kids. 
he did. And that might perhaps be enough for him to rebuke his disciples. But it's more than that, as revealed by what he says to them. Jesus is aware that the success of what he's doing in bringing the kingdom from heaven to the earth depends on these tots that their parents are bringing to him. It's another way of saying something that thankfully is being brought back to the consciousness of the church in our day. It's another way of saying that Jesus knows the kingdom will come in a multi-generational way. Remember how Jesus has shown the disciples this kingdom's not going to come like some big earth-moving operation? You get enough big equipment out into a big part of the ground and things move very quickly. That's not the way the kingdom's going to come. The kingdom's going to come gradually, even slowly, line by line, precept by precept, and now, very clearly, generation by generation. And so as important as all those big people are, that the disciples particularly are concerned about, the kingdom belongs to the children in particular. Those children and their children and their children's children. That's how the kingdom's going to come. The disciples knew that the kingdom would come by means of the covenant community, that God would bring a work to galvanize His people and they would be the agents of the kingdom. They understood that, but it would appear that they have a sense that the kingdom is going to happen far more quickly than Jesus has been trying to convey to them. And Jesus is making the point, you need, I need the time to bring a blessing to the youngest ones among my disciples because the kingdom belongs to them as well. I want you to think of these who are sitting with you this morning, brothers and sisters, in no less terms. I want you to think of the the short ones, the ones who can't all see me right now because they're sitting behind one of you big ones. I want you to think of them when they stand up here and profess their faith which we've had done in recent Sundays, which, by the way, is another example of a replay of this passage, parents bringing their children to Christ for His blessing, especially there, but but also out there when they're running around in the grass, when you see them in need of correction and their parents are struggling to give it, when you have opportunity to have others into your homes and you share the work of parenting, when you hear parents stand up and ask for prayer for their children, for specific concerns, you bear in mind that the kingdom of heaven depends by Christ's own plan on them. The world has this expression. It's a very common one. Our children are our future. I don't know if if you're a Christian, what you mean by that? It's a rather bland truism, it strikes me. If you're not a Christian, if you don't believe that history is going somewhere, that God has a plan for doing something great in the earth, and that He uses the generations of His people to accomplish that, the best I can come up with is just the obvious fact that our children are younger than us. They'll be here when we're gone. Or maybe 
They're the ones going to feed us applesauce when we're beyond our senses and have no teeth left for anything else. That's Our children are our future. People, you have something far more profound to say to yourself as Christians. Our children are the future of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus himself is teaching his disciples this. And this ennobles everything that we do. Not just if you're a parent, but if you're simply in the presence of these little people and have opportunity to promote the work of bringing them into the presence of Christ, that lends unspeakable significance to what you're doing. I haven't spoken this specifically, but I hope mothers especially have been listening to our Lord's sense of priority. He was a busy man. He had a lot to do. He says to his disciples, holding, praying, and blessing babies. That's kingdom work. Amen. You've been listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice, a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. If you've been blessed by today's podcast, consider sharing it with someone you know. And thank you for joining us.